Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. So, Dan, what do you think is the best 80 minutes that Joe and Anthony Russo have ever done? Best 80 minutes? How are we, how are we quantifying this? Are we, can, we, can we, like, add together different episodes of, like, community and stuff? Sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Do whatever you do. Whatever you want. Um, the best. What do you think is the best? Because I have, I have a, an answer, but I just want to know what you, how, how you would parse through this. Idiots. And listener, I mean, like, what do you think, listener? Like, start thinking in your head. The best eighty minutes. I mean, that's kind of a trick question because any moment they make that's good, they're part of us because of other work they're building off of. Like, okay, like the elevator scene in Captain America: Winter Soldier. Everyone loves that scene, but part of what makes that scene cool is stuff that we know about both Hydra and Captain America himself. So they're working off of a template and they're building off of characters that they themselves have have helped build. So, um, but if we're just going purely like the moments themselves, I think uh, paintball episodes of Community. Did they direct that one? I believe they did. Did they do? I know Justin Lin also did some of the paintball, paintball episodes. There's multiple people episodes. I know they all weren't directed by the same people, so mm-hmm. they did some of them. I don't know if they did like a second one or something. So I was going to propose that the best 80 minutes, you could even say 84 minutes to be I'm exact. assuming you're going to say Arrested Development. The first four episodes of Arrested Development. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird... <laughs> what a weird way to get the Band-Aid off. Which is apparently canonically exists in the Marvel Smack universe. Yes, uh, specifically Tobias. Yeah. <laughs> who blew himself early to be in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep. And then there's also <laughs> the Bluth stairs are also in the airport in the stair car. Yeah. In Civil War. And in uh, season one, there's a scene where Tobias is trying to get on a flight. Uh, it's sort of one of their cutaway jokes. And he's trying to get on a flight, so he drives the stair car in. But then they just lead him to the tarmac. <laughs> and so he parks in the middle of the tarmac, finds a place right next to his flight, but it completely delays all of the flights. But I think that was just uh, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s cover-up. Well, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s gone by now, but S.H.I.E.L.'D.'s cover-up for um, why the flights were delayed. But in reality, it was because the Civil War fight was taking place there. Uh, I'll have you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. still exists in underground form for many years. Following That's fair. That's fair. Solution. And I can just hear the angry comments from people. <laughs> just like, um, actually, Melvin, yes, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. has been alive the entire time. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. guys, it doesn't matter. The real focus here is the rest of development. It's functionally better than the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> uh, until you get to season five, then it's so not, all down so here. It's not better. <laughs> no, season five gets pretty bad. There's like a literal scene that I'm like, how did this get through? Like, like does Netflix have like, like, you know how publications have an editor? And like they decide yes. what needs to go back and what he's it's almost like there's a, there's some scenes in season five where you're like, was anybody like in charge of this? Right. Like yeah. there's one it's literally a phone call that Michael has with Buster who's in jail. And the top half of the screen is just a, a still photo of the jail with like what Buster's saying in text. And then the set, the bottom half of the screen, I'm pretty sure is a still photo of Michael driving a, a smart car where the reflection of the sun covers his mouth. 
and then they edit stuff around it. So as he's talking, the reflection gets brighter to cover his mouth. And then he's talking back though. So it's almost like an ADR scene that's very long. And then they have to edit it to make it not look like it's been edited. It's just ugly. It's an ugly scene. And the entire season, season five is very ugly. And it's just, it, it feels like the sort of thing where it was like, because Arrested Development for Netflix is like one of their early tentpole things where people were picking it up, they were watching it, and then that's why they bought it. Was right, like, they'll right. be the guys who who make this fourth season. And I like the fourth season. I think it 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 feels like a long episode if you end up watching the original cut, which is only available if you go to the trailers and extra section of Netflix. Um, the new edit of this fourth season, I I don't think is as strong, but. Then season five is just ugly and unfunny and tired. And it's like, it's like all of Mitchell Horowitz's comedy was put into the first season of Lady Dynamite. And then he just stopped. I don't know. But also after like the first season of Rust Development, a lot of the episodes are directed by Joe and Anthony Russo. And then even the third one, I think, because I don't know if they directed much in the second season. And I, and every time I watch them, I'm like, I would really like to see the two of them do comedy again instead of having to try and put on their big boy pants after Endgame to go, let's make Extraction, which is just like, has a really cool scene in the middle for 20 minutes, but that's it. Cherry. Yeah. And then I heard, yeah, that didn't do well. And that's basically uh-huh. like, let's try and be big boy, big boy, mature people. It's like, just go back to comedy, man. I I wish comedy was more respected by everybody because it is very hard to pull off. And if you watch the first three episodes, first four episodes of Arrested Development, there's incredibly clever stuff using the format of film. Like there's an entire episode where they do pullaways with the camera to reveal things as as jokes, and they just keep doing it throughout the entire episode, and it's just really good. And you just I don't know I don't need to watch. I don't need to watch Extraction to know you're good at what you do when that's like one of the worst things I've probably seen right. one of the two of them do. So I don't know. We, we said this on a Loki episode, but or maybe I said it, but MCU needs a procedural show. Like, get the Rooster Brothers, do that damage control show that got canceled. Is that the one where it's like basically like, is it, it that's like, we kind of see a bit of that in the Spider-Man Homecoming, right? Yep. In the beginning. Control. Because it's people having to clean up after the Avengers. Yeah. So apparently at some point there was plans to make that a whole show, which is you just follow a group of people around it to clean up after all these superhero things. Mm -hmm. But like apparently the rumor is it was too close in tone to that show Powers. That was on some. There was a period where there was like more streaming services than ever existed and they all had weird names they all have weird shows. It's like that Mark Maron joke where he says, like, not only do I not know what shows exist now, they're on services I've also never heard of. It was like peak <laughs> that, where it was like PlayStation View or something commissioned what? a show. And it was started like Abed from so, something like that. And it start, or I don't know if it was VRV or something, but it started Abed from Community. And it was start showed like it was powers. It was like people that work with superheroes or something. So they had to like do stuff for like um, Wayne Enterprises or something. And so it's supposed to canonically exist in the DC universe or something. So because of that, d- damage control got canceled in production or something. This is all speculation and rumor, but that'd be a fun comedy. Like that'd be something to throw up on Disney plus like, 
like you're the guys that had to clean up after the superheroes, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, because there's, there's comedy potential there, you know, like having to like do like take care of like relationships because like one half got blipped away or something. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. You could do a comedy version of that or a very sad version of that. I don't know. I think that'd be funny. They kind of did that for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. first season. Like one of the episodes opens up with S.H.I.E.L.D. cleaning up after Thor, the Dark World. So they're just like cleaning up all the rubble that Thor created. <laughs> they're cleaning up all the bad reviews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this show is fun. They should do this more. And then because they got rid of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the movies, they just stopped doing that. So I was like, oh, this is kind of a bummer. We talk about Marvel too much in this show. I'm just going to say it. I think we talk about Marvel with a more, with less of a reverence reverence than other people so i think it's passable i think we talk about it like we talk about a business it's fascinating (laughs) not because of the products and the fan toys and the funko pops it's fascinating because it makes a lot of money and it's a bubble that's going to burst eventually (laughs) so masters of the universe revelation you what what's this show i mean can we just i just want to start by saying (laughs) Like every now and then I just text Dan. I'm like, so like, we don't have anything left. Like we have no background content. We have no pre-recorded episodes anymore. What do we want to do this week? And then like Dan doesn't text me back for like three days. <laughs> and then That's he goes, hey, there's people talking about Masters of the Universe Revelation. The critics love it, but the fans of He-Man hate it. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, let's do that. Because I saw it was only five episodes and each episode's like 26 minutes. So I'm like, I can do that. <laughs> But this is a show I know nothing about. <laughs> like, I'm watching it, and they're like, well, I'll, we'll get into it when I'm talking about it improper. But, Dan, why don't you introduce uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation? So, um, for the two people who would listen to the movie podcast but don't know nothing about He-Man, um, Masters of the Universe was initially a toy line in the early 80s, which I don't know if everyone knows that, but it literally started as toys first. And then later they commissioned, I think there's Filmation, I don't know the company, but they commissioned an animated series that ran for like two or three years. Um, but the toy line, and I actually was just talking to a friend of mine who's like the biggest nerd I've ever met in my life. And he was like, oh yeah, I used to collect those figures in the 80s. I've never seen the show though. Um, so like the show, the show and toys definitely had a um, relationship to each other. Uh, but Masters of the Universe has always been a more broader franchise than just a single show, which I think people forget. And you'll get that if you go into any sort of fan space or Master Universe fans are there, which is there's people who've only seen the shows because there is the original show. There's a second show, I think around 86. And then in 2002, there was a new show that had a much more modern uh, animation style, had a much more modern, serious take on the material, which is what fans always want. Because when you love something in the 80s, but you still like it, you really desperately want your valid to be validated and liking that thing. So they make a more adult version, quote unquote. But the thing that creates the most lore for the franchise is there's different comic series from like Dark Horse. I think Marvel had a comic series based on Master Universe for a while. So it's actually this really big franchise with all of these different spinoffs and movies and, and namely comic books where there's whole characters that exist only as toys and then later they're brought in as com in the comics, but they've never been in the shows and so forth. So it has a bizarrely large fan base, despite also most people only knowing it from the 80s cartoon, which I bring up because the 80s cartoon is not good. I don't know why people like to pretend like things they liked as children were really, really good. It's okay if you have fun memories of it. But like the original He-Man cartoon, I'm not a fan of it at all. I've seen episodes of it. I don't like it. It's campy in the ways I don't like. It's 
procedural and formulaic in ways I don't like. I've never been a big fan of it. And most people, that's what they think about when they think about He-Man or Masters of the Universe. So when it was announced that both She-Ra and He-Man were getting shows, I wasn't particularly interested until I then heard who was doing the shows. Noelle Stevenson did She-Ra, and I love Noelle Stevenson. And then Kevin Smith, of all people, was brought in to do He-Man. And not just Kevin Smith, his like stable of friends. So if you look at the credits for who wrote and directed these different episodes, it's people who've been on this podcast, people who've been working on the productions that were with him. Um, Adam Conaro, I'm not saying his name, you know, Patrick Stannard. People where if you're in the Smith view askew kind of if you listen to smodcast on stuff you might recognize these people so the fact that it was that group of people i was like both at that point i became morbidly curious where i have a very complicated relationship with kevin smith where i'm both a big fan of his and i also think a lot of stuff he makes isn't good um i tried to watch jay and silent bob reboot yeah it it was unwatchable i tried to watch jay and silent bob's groovy cartoon movie that was even worse i am cautiously optimistic about clerks three so I was really interested in this. And then the reviews started coming out and the critic reviews for this show were unanimously positive. It was getting close to hundred percent of Rotten Tomatoes. Like critics were applauding it for being interesting and doing interesting things with the characters. And so then I was like, all right, I definitely got to see this. And then fan reactions started coming out and fans hated it. They were so angry. Kevin Smith was replying to people on Twitter. He was defending his creative decisions. And I was like, I definitely have to see this. I need to see what this thing is. I have never watched a He-Man thing. The only He-Man thing I've ever watched, like really was the She-Ra cartoon on Netflix, which is so completely removed from all that stuff. It doesn't Mm -hmm. count. I was like, I need to see this thing. And so off the bat, I'm just going to say, we're going to spoil this show because you cannot talk about it at all. It's spoiling what happens in the first episode. But before we get into spoilers, first basic premise, this takes place right after the 1986 cartoon. It does not follow the continuity of the comics or the the sequels, television shows. It literally picks up plot points from the original cartoon from the 80s, which is itself a bold decision. And so there's a guy named Prince Adam. He turns into He-Man to defend Eternia and Castle Grayskull and all that stuff. He has a companion uh, named Tila, who's like kind of going to be married to Adam, but also is friends with He-Man. Skeletor is a bad guy trying to destroy the universe. That's all you need to know. Skeletor being objectively an awesome design. And voiced by Mark Hamill. It's so awesome. Uh, The Joker is Skeletor. It's the best thing. Um, And then he works with someone named Evil Lynn. Awesome. Great name. (laughs) And these are the names they gave you the action figures. So, but before we spoil it, just quick answer. Melvin, did you like this first five episodes? I, I wasn't super into it, but not probably because of why fans weren't liking it or why critics would have any hangups. I just wasn't into it because I'm getting tired of the the reboot template that's being used right now, which again, we really can't define until we start talking about specifics <laughs> of the show. But I will say this, it was something where I actually last night I finished the last two episodes and I actually thought maybe I just won't and I'll just come into the episode and say that and say why but i was like it's also 26 minutes each i can watch it and i'm glad i did because i actually liked how it ended i liked the last episode's last five minutes um because i was like (laughs) because i was like hey that's actually like kind of an interesting thing to like hook me into maybe watching more but also i don't have to (laughs) i don't really need to so that's like 
conceptually, that's what I'll describe as like my experience is like kind of fine. Not, not like whatever. It's okay. Still waiting for Invincible season two. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's when it comes to animated shows. That's what I'm, that's where I'm at. Interesting. Actually, even comparing to Invincible season two or, or Invincible season one, I just like, what the show had to offer in terms of animation and story and everything. I just, I was more inclined because I don't watch a lot of animated stuff. I think people who listen to the podcast know that, but if we're getting a couple wild He-Man fans in the wild listening to our episode, then I, out of the two of us, me and Dan, I'm the one who doesn't watch a lot of animated stuff. So like a lot of like what animation as a medium has to offer for me isn't particularly interesting. Um, Doesn't titillate me. So like, yeah, I think that expends everything I can say before we get into the specifics of the show. Interesting, interesting. Which I have, well, the bulk of my thoughts are the reboot template as opposed to the show itself. Gotcha. Yeah. So for those who don't know, the animation is provided by, I just double check this, Powerhouse Animation, who do the Castlevania show on Netflix. That too. I don't like Powerhouse, but mostly because I think, um, what's his name? Shikar, whatever, the guy who I runs it, really I think know. he's a total hack. I really okay. just... I. <laughs> Like I've seen interviews with him and I'm like, uh, I don't like him. <laughs> I, I have very, I have mixed feelings on the animation style personally as well. Yeah. I'll just say that part of why I immediately texted Melvin and be like, we have to talk about this show is I don't even know if I liked or disliked it. I'm just really fascinated with the creative decisions they made. There's a lot to talk about. Yes. It, it's in line with my recommendation two episodes ago where it's like finish something you don't like because you still have a lot to talk about even if you didn't like it. And this right. is kind of something where like, yeah, there's when you told me that there's discussion divisiveness online, I'm like, that sounds like a good episode. It sounds like a really <laughs> cool thing to learn about. So I was like, all right, I'll watch it. <laughs> so totally it's- agree. So I, yeah, I'm a much larger animation fan than Melvin. Obviously, last time I, I recommended two cartoons that are on Disney Plus. And I actually want to go back and redo those recommendations probably because I feel like I didn't sell them very well. But I'm a big, <laughs> I'm a big animation fan, partially because as somebody who's Japanese, I was raised on anime. And so like I have a fondness for the medium, probably beyond most, some other people would who just kind of like maybe don't have that strong cultural connection to it, I suppose. I don't know. But so as someone who is a pretty big animation fan and who watches quite a bit of it and and as someone who does not like He-Man, I'm going to put that forward. I was completely hooked after the first episode because they make some very bold creative decisions. And I was just like, I just want to see where this goes. And from that standpoint, I was really thoroughly entertained for the five episodes that are available. And so if you're somebody who's going with an open mind and is willing to sort of go along for a weird ride, I think it's, I would highly recommend it that way. If you're not somebody who's really big in the animation or at least and this is the weird thing. You have to be somewhat familiar with He-Man to even kind of like some of the decisions they make because of how to have context for why there are such strange decisions. So I could see why it's getting such a strong negative reaction from fans specifically. Yeah. As well as strong defenders from other. Because if you go to the subreddit for Master Universe, there's some people who are also vehemently defending the show. And to get those types of strong reactions, you do have to have some familiarity with the franchise. So from that specific standpoint, I recommend it. I also think it's pretty good as far as cartoons go. It's not really for children. There's a lot of stuff in it that I think it would be huge turnoffs for children. It's an older teen. It's not an older. It's a teenage show. I would say like preteens and older would probably find kind of enjoy it. Yeah. Eighth grade to like senior in high school. You're gonna really, you might dig this a lot. Yeah. So that's my before against boys. That's my that's my mild. That's my 
quantified, qualified, I should say, qualified recommendation. And if I uh, can even toss in, even though we're going to talk about spoilers, they don't really matter. We're just talking about specific <laughs> plot points that like, if you do care, then go watch it. It's so short. Oh, I'm totally spoiling the first episode. I'm just yeah. completely just... We could spoil all of it because it's well, yeah. like... I don't. Eh. There's some interesting <laughs> stuff in here. There's some interesting stuff that I, I think... Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning. But uh, let's let that super ultra mega late call to action <laughs> click in real quick. Hey there, it's your friendly neighborhood call to action. Just checking in on you. Hope you're doing all right. I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout out with a thumbs up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Hey, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S. and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted, I thought this was like a hobby thing. You want me to... expand cinematic doctrine. You know this Right, right, right. Yeah, I I forgot. I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as low as $3 a month, you can gain access to exclusive content like The Pre-Show, which features free-form and Christian-friendly discussions on all kinds of topics as well as influence the podcast. That's right, each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Previous movies our lovely Patreon supporters have chosen are To All the Boys I've Loved Before, Hamilton, Onward, and American Gospel Christ Alone. Huh, you guys have good taste. Anyways, I gotta run, so I'll see you guys later. So, okay, Dan, like... uh, my my thoughts on reboot stuff, I think, are more best like added to the end of the episode because okay. that's more of a meta textual discussion. So, like, if someone literally press play play to just listen to <sighs> specifically a He Man talk, I think we should do that first. Sure. So, so let's just do it. Rip off that band aid. What's the first episode? Uh, first episode. What's is... the climax of that first episode? <laughs> so the first episode starts off. Okay, here's what I like about it so much. The first episode starts off with the basic premise of a classic he-man episode which is there's they have a thing there's that there's a thing that prince adam needs to do but there's a thing that he-man needs to do and so castle grayskull is being attacked by skeletor voiced by the wonderful mark hamill doing one of his two three voices again. yeah doing one of doing one of his three voices but man is it a good voice i cannot say i know it's but it's perfect for skeletor but isn't the original va alive yes so here the fun thing is the guy who voices he-man stuff in the original cartoon is in this as uh, i think it's moss man that's actually a pretty good yeah idea alan oppenheimer alan oppenheimer who did a lot of the voices original literal cartoon um kevin smith is a big nerd so he brought him back just to do a characters who does moss man. That's a really nice touch. And so like Skeletor is attacking castle Grayskull, 
And so He-Man has to go and all these goofy characters with dumb names are showing up to, to it's fight. So cool. And it's stupid, but it's stupid in the fun way. And then it reveals that Skeletor actually has a really smart plan, which is he's just going to blow up the entire universe because it turns out Castle Grayskull has a secret power source that you were not aware of. And so Skeletor freaking kills Moss Man. And it's init- it's immediately jarring because right. you're just like, oh, He-Man, like, and there's a great line where He-Man gets so mad he actually stabs Skeletor and Skeletor says, you finally use the sword the right way because he never actually stabs anyone in the original cartoon. And so he stabs Skeletor, but in the moment Skeletor, you, um, it activates this big MacGuffin that's going to blow up the whole universe. All of existence is going to get destroyed if He-Man doesn't do the thing. He-Man does the thing to sacrifice himself to save the universe. Skeletor and He-Man are dead in the first episode within the first like 15 minutes they kill both of your lead characters one of whom is voiced by a big name voice actor who is heavily hyped up and leading up to the show they were like we got mark hamill to be skeletor they're dead they're dead 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 and not cartoon dead this isn't dragon ball this is a run on a track for a really long time to come back right. they're gone they're gone gone and what's crazy is then they start unloading things from the show's lore which is tila it's like, wait a minute. You guys knew that Prince Adam was He-Man this whole time? You never told me? I'm like, uh. And she's like, wait a minute. That's messed up. You, that's messed up. You never, you lied to me this whole time. My family lied to me. And so they take this, like, established canon from the show and turn it on its head, which I really enjoy. Yeah, that was cool. It, leads, it leaves with her, like, leaving Castle Grayskull um, and leaving them like, I'm going on my own. This is messed up. You guys are terrible. And that's the first episode. So if you're a fan of He-Man, you're like, sick, adult he-man we're gonna get to see he-man cut people's heads off we're gonna see him fight skeletor it's gonna be just like my childhood show it's just gonna be like the 2002 show it's gonna be just, just like i violence. remembered the show yeah. being but with more violence and adult things in it yeah and it doesn't do any of that it just completely takes everything you love about he-man throws it in the trash and i love it <laughs> i just i was i just like suddenly all the fans complaining online made so much sense to me I yes like, oh i can see why they hated this but it's the exact reason why i'm interested at all because if it's just he-man i'd be like yeah because again it's not my thing like i don't it's just there's, there's not enough in the original he-man mythos to to grab me like there's just nothing particularly interesting about it the only interesting thing about it is the transformers thing where it's like they keep having to find a reasons to work in all these dumb characters in the show to sell toys mm-hmm. so to bend over backwards to write in reasons why they have to exist but like as a thing i just wasn't interested but then like with this first episode i was like totally on board did you have any sort of initial reactions to it at all from the first episode uh, I just I knew that that was the reason probably why people were like, if you were a fan of He-Man, you were then like irritated by that. I also knew that like because then Teela becomes the lead character. Um, there's there's a, a, a podcast I was listening to with Tanahasi Coates, uh, who he wrote. He's written a lot of comic book stuff. That's really why I'm bringing him up. And he's doing Superman. He's doing so. a new Superman. And he has even said that the most vehement comments and nasty comments he's ever gotten are specifically from comic book fans. And typically that's because um, I, you know, I'm not going to ex- explain why it's like, I'm not going to say because of this one reason, really it's a myriad of reasons such as like people just defend things to be the same all of the time. And part of that is also the inherent nature of superheroes. I was listening to another podcast that brought this up that I didn't think about was that like superheroes are almost always, and he man is a superhero. He's just a medieval superhero, right? Yeah, superheroes yeah. are almost always about fighting for the status quo and so when you have that become something inherent to, cause like even Batman who you could argue is the most, probably the least in 
the furthest from that, ultimately, there's still a status quo that's the same. Right, it's just the right. most troubling status quo, which is everything <laughs> sucks and the world is uh, dead or something. He's preventing a bad world from getting worse. Right. Kind of feeling um, he's a person with mental health issues punching other people with mental health issues. And so that's the status quo. And so uh, even if you change the gender of a lead character, you make people mad because that's not the status quo. And so I even suspected that the fact that Tila becomes the lead character for the series would probably make people very angry. Yes, yes. Like half of the reason people were mad with Last of Us Part Two, which there are plenty of things to, to not like about that, but one of the big backlashes was because one of the protagonists was too muscular and she's a girl. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, you you children. <laughs> yeah, as a professional wrestling fan, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you children complaining about stuff that... And, and what a surprise that the entire video game industry and culture is a boys club. Yeah. Hashtag Blizzard and Activision. Have they ever watched like MMA? Like Chris Cyborg. I don't think they've ever like seen a real woman in their life. I don't think they've ever yeah. touched a woman. I don't think they've ever held one's hand. I don't know. Um, but like, I <laughs> I love making fun of nerds. But as as one who, who is in many nerd cultures of like comic <laughs> books, films, video a, games, I literally touch just all Just looking of them. at you right now, you have long hair, you're wearing like a flannel. <laughs> Flannel shirt, Beard, hosting flannel. a movie podcast with glasses. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I hit all of them. Uh, and Christian. So you could even say historically, like there's something cultural that's questionable <laughs> about how Christians treat women. But the point I'm trying to make, other than lighting myself on fire, is that uh, even just the choice to make her the lead yes. is just so ballsy. And even the entire, the party is mostly women and a robot. So it's like not even a man. Um, there's like not. But the a, robot's voiced by Justin Long. So. There's, yeah, there's not a single dude in this party, really. And the only one who you could say is closest is a man beast, which you could argue is a parody of how men are depicted in a lot of superhero imagery. Well, I mean, Orko is the wizard voiced by the guy from the tech, right. Griffin Newman. Which I thought Orko had some pretty good... Orko yeah. has a really depressing Oh my gosh. It's, <laughs> we'll get into that, but yeah. But like... And he has such a... The, Again, the, not for kids, but... Yeah, it, there's there's this stuff that like kids won't really get into. Um, or it's like the, the taste of maturity that teenagers can get through it. Um, and Orko's definitely big for that. So... Anyways, yeah, my reaction to the first episode is I get it. I understand the divisiveness. I understand the critic enjoyment because it's something new. Yeah. But also, when we get into the reboot template, <laughs> I would argue nothing here is new. <laughs> it's just with different, it's just a reskin of the reboot template we've been getting with every franchise as far back as um, Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, so, like, yeah, uh, we'll get into that later. Sure. Well, I mean, for, from here on out, like the rest of the show, basically the premise from here is following this whole fallout from the power source of Grayskull by destroying it. You get rid of magic in the world, so magic is running out. The real plot is, line starts. Yeah. yeah, which I think is really interesting. And so there's also growing, like, cult. Uh, funny, like, there's a cult of people who, like, worship technology now over over um, magic. And the cult leader is voiced by Henry Rollins who also voices a cult leader and not Amon, but he voices a different cult leader in Legend of Korra. So like, there's this weird amount of like samey, like this. I love Henry Rollins. Uh, for those who don't know, he's lead singer of Black Flag and all that stuff. Um, so there's like interesting world building stuff, but they have to go back and get magic back because without it, like the world's dying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so the rogues gallery, Skeletor's crew and He-Man's crew have to team up to go on a quest 
to get magic back in the world. Right. And they have to literally go to heaven to go to hell than heaven to do it. And so the, off the party goes and it's like fun stuff there specifically. Um, Tila is voiced by Sarah Michelle Geller. So the whole time I could just hear Buffy. It's just Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She does nothing to hide her voice. It's just Buffy. And Evil Lynn is voiced by Lena Headey, who is Cersei in Game of Thrones. She also has carved out a niche for herself as voicing these types of characters in cartoons. She's also in Infinity Train is a similarly rough character. She's also the villain in the Dread, the Judge Dread movie that everyone loves. Uh, the, the latest one with uh, with Carl Urban. Is, Carl Urban. Yeah. yeah, she's the villain in that. So she's great. So is like, that voice- show ever going to get off the ground? Mega um, City one? <laughs> I don't we'll know. See. It's like the Spawn movie and the Crow remake. They're just perpetually yeah. in production. They're just never going to come out. Development hell, yeah. Yeah, so the voice cast is across the board is amazing. Some of you might know Griffin Newman for the Blank Check podcast. He voice- He's voicing Orko. Dennis Haysbert shows up as like, Skeletor in hell and he's awesome. Um no 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 sorry Dennis Haysbert voices someone else. Tony Todd Candyman shows oh. up as wow is Skeletor in hell. Didn't know that. I don't That's know if cool. you recognized it. And so it's great. So the voice cast is great. So they have to go to hell and heaven. And so the plot lines that go around is Orko is as a as a wizard guy, he's slowly dying from lack of magic, and it's so sad. This cute, cuddly character is slowly like starving to death before our eyes, and they fight Merman, voiced by Batman, Kevin Conroy, who's a friend with Kevin Smith. He shows up in this, and he actually works with uh, Skeletor in a flashback. So Joker and Batman work together to fight He Man in a flashback. <laughs> and the flashback is like a classic he man episode with like quips and stuff and then later they lampshade it by going like he didn't make all those dumb jokes did he and they're like oh yes he did you know <laughs> and there's like it's lots of cute touches in there and then things that you won't care about throughout the show some of the characters run into are characters who only existed as action figures and they're finally getting added to like the actual animated canon oh, cool or their minor characters like the guy this the smith guy in like heaven who helps who tries to initially help them put the swords together and he just kind of like gently places them together and just like, I don't know how to do it. That's like a character who's just an action figure. Oh, who's cool. Smiling the show. Um, so like, yeah, it really kicks up where they go to hell and they face their greatest fears and to- Candyman is there and he fights Tila and Orko sacrifices himself by finally gaining enough magic to fight back the evil. And he just dies. And this is like one episode after he has a line of dialogue. That's like, keep a journal. Cause you forget things. And it's like, you never existed. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God. It's like, Orko. <laughs> like, yeah. It's so sad and beautiful. And he dies and he dies. Right. As entering into heaven. So he's just like, quote unquote dies. Cause yeah. you can see, well, he's the buried setups for a season. Two. Yeah. You can see it, but he's also has literally a grave in heaven. <laughs> it's so right. sad. Um, and all along the way, Tila and Evil Lynn have this ongoing dialogue about their places in the universe, like how they how they were sort of overshadowed by people like He-Man and Skeletor, who they are as people, where Evil Lynn is kind of realizing that Skeletor as a figure just totally like he's a black hole. He engulfs her. And so you sort of seeing like them trying to strike on their own. And this is where people are like, oh, this show is just SJW propaganda. They're taking another big boy show and making it about ladies. Uh, which I reject for two reasons. One is that what he's doing is taking a side character and making them more prominent. It just happens to be a female character. And it just happens to reflect the roles they're given in most classic television shows. It also happens to reflect sometimes how women feel about relationships <laughs> with other men. So I'm sorry, but can we... Yeah. Uh, there's... there's why are why are geeks allowed to have twitter <laughs> well who gave geeks a platform <laughs> it was better when they were in closets collecting their figures and not doing anything well the other thing is like <laughs> they go to heaven 
and He-Man is there. Like Prince Adam is still there. Like he's still in the show. And they give him a really cool reason to like, like the fact yes. that he's still Prince Adam and not as He-Man. They mention like you can choose what form you want to be, your champion form or your lesser form. They say in the heaven period, yes. and he's the only one who chose to be the lesser. And because, it's like that's a really good character yes, choice. <laughs> because Tila's whole thing is that she's like, I never knew him because he right. was secretly He-Man this whole time. I only knew Prince Adam. And what the show establishes and what Kevin Smith and crew do is the idea that like Prince Adam is his true self. Right. Deep down in his heart, he's a smaller, gentler person who was He-Man out of necessity, which makes him more heroic because right. he's choosing to do, go on these battles, choose missions. And then when they get the MacGuffin they need to, and they decide to lead heaven, he makes a decision to leave, even though like the only reason he's in that place in the first place is because he managed to earn the right to be there via being He-Man. And like if he leaves, he may never have the opportunity yes. to go back. Right. So he forsakes this like paradise, which I mean, it's not the Judeo-Christian heaven. So, OK, whatever. It, but he's to go back with Tila to live his life with her again. That is far more heroic than anything that happened to the original cartoon. And this is what's so frustrating to me about it. The original cartoon, there's no stakes. It was a dumb kid show. And you finally <laughs> get this show with actual stakes and people sacrificing things and dying and having to make actual complex moral decisions. But because Tila is in three of the uh, is the main focus for three of the five episodes so far, and it's just part one of season one, the whole season isn't even out yet. So like, whatever, guys, like you don't know what the show's going to be like. It's part one of season one. So all the things they're upset about, this might just be for the first half of the season. And based on based on where the show leaves off, there's more to come, you know. And so they leave heaven and it's just like. And then Skeletor comes back. He's not dead, guys. You know, because if he is like the whole, you know. He stored himself in the staff that Evelyn has. It's like the whole um, Death Note thing. <laughs> where it's like, finally, my plan is paid. It was long con <laughs> paid off. Yeah. And so like, yeah, guys, don't worry. Your precious status quo. And this is why it doesn't upset me. It's restored kind of, but all the characters have substantially grown and changed. Semi-restored because yes. a bunch of strong buff men and by that i'm putting major quotations because it's mostly just people who are persona who who want a surrogate live through he-man as a character they are probably very mad that adam gets killed in the last episode <laughs> <laughs> just out of nowhere which is when it, i started to think the show is like hey it's pretty good <laughs> pretty clever so I'm like uh-uh <laughs> yeah doing it again <laughs> that's right you did like the first episode oops wait till the last one yeah, and then like Skeletor like becomes like the real big evil final boss. It's freaking awesome, you know. And the thing is, like the way they kill quote unquote kill He Man, he still could come back. You know, they like they kind of like they kind of blew up the status quote a second time, which is I loved the subversion of that. But like, I mean, it is a cartoon. It's a world with magic and in science fiction stuff. This stuff you could do. But like, I just like I I would rather have a bold new take on the material that in my opinion wasn't that great to begin with than just like another he-man show that's just my personal opinion as somebody who watches a lot of things in general you'll notice this with critics like part of why they'll just like throw maybe on too much praise at things just for being different is when you watch like 10 movies a week and you're watching all shows something that stands out is gonna really hit different you know you're watching all this like shows you're watching those movies so like, oh, we're doing a He-Man show, but guess what? That's going to stand out to critics. You know, that's going to versus somebody who like they only watch 
cartoons. He-Man reruns. They're, you know, Could like you imagine? Just, <laughs> that's the, all you watch. <laughs> that's be weird. But like for people who are like, they collect the figures, they read the comics. Like this is this is their hobby. You know, like they have a job and a family. They see me live normal lives, but in the dark secrets of their life, they love He-Man or whatever. Like this is their thing. It's gonna land different because they just wanted. They want you know to talk about the whole status quo thing. Like superheroes, part of what's comforting about them is that yeah they restore the status quo, but they also are like they live in this idealized world and they're idealized characters, and so they represent a aspirational thing. And so the fact that they restore the status quo is supposed to make you feel like you're vicariously living in this world where good wins out. You know, though we see chaos in the world around us, though we see the evil and you know economic problems and pandemics and natural disasters and wars and famines and so forth that we live in a fallen world within the context of something like he-man or any comic book character or superhero show you get the sense that there's somebody out there who can restore things to the way they should be you know and by trying to tell a more complex story by necessity you kind of have to throw that out the window a little bit and that can be discomforting to people um, sometimes it lands a little better. Like I think All Star Superman is a good example of this, where you completely destroy the the invincibility of your character to tell a more vulnerable, interesting story. But I think He Man fans, He Man's never been, you know, a the dude stops a giant fist <laughs> like there's a punch and yeah, with a giant hand and he's able to punch it back. He's never been a um, what's what I'm looking he's for. He's a power fantasy. Yeah, but he's never been a um, dynamic character prestige show. You know, they never dealt with complex problems. Mm-hmm. And it maybe it's a thing. Maybe like it's one of those things where like if you turned on like your comfort show, whatever it is, whether it's mm-hmm. like something like Bob's Burgers or a cooking show or a reality TV show. And like suddenly someone walks out and it goes like, let's make a Bob's burger episodes about raising the minimum wage. Well, like, or <laughs> Which they like probably have in the comedy way, but like if you did it seriously, it would, yeah. Fans of Bob's burgers would be like, Oh, <laughs> well, like, yeah. If you turned on hell's kitchen and someone walks in and goes, you know, I have my son with leukemia is dying, but like, um, all, but like also his sister is dying, but I could potentially, um, save his sister by donating on my organs, but that puts my life at risk. So do I risk my child surviving leukemia and growing up without a father, but having a sister or do I, you know, or something like that. You'd be like, Oh, I don't want to watch this. I want to watch a dumb cooking show. That's right. comfort food. I don't want a complicated situation where I have to deal with like the nature of morality or life itself. And I think he man might fall in the same thing where, you know, isn't this like the, the we've, we've had this discussion a lot of times, especially when we're talking about Marvel, where it's like people. Fans I know my example it, didn't make any sense. I was trying to make no, it because it it, it's like <laughs> what you're getting at conceptually is like fans simultaneously want something different, but they also just want everyone to get together and sing Kumbaya together. Like they don't like you can't have both. Uh, because that's sort of just how things change. That's how narratives develop. You have new writers, so they are seeing these characters in a different way. And uh, I, I kind of call back to like we did an episode a year ago when talking about when Gone with the Wind was uh, taken off of certain marketplaces, and I sort of was indifferent about it because I was like, I think people get frustrated because there's a fear of obsolescence. There's this fear of things becoming not as important as they once were especially if you still consider those things important. But like over time, like there was something that made me think of this. It was, it was like, there was something that was like serving a Caesar salad and then they make a pun about like 
basically being stabbed in the back. And it's like, if you were to do that back then when Caesar's killed, it's like that could be considered in poor taste, but it's been like a bajillion years later. (laughs) So it's like, it's not that important anymore. It just takes, that's just happens. It just takes time. So if you thought your ref, your, your comparison was bad, mine's probably way worse, but the point still stands of like, things just change. That's fine. You still have the old show. Just go watch it. I don't know. Like, and if you take time to like, not totally indulge in it every single day of your life and you return back to it after a couple of years, it's great. That's why I keep bringing up Arrested Development in every episode now is because I took a long time. It was like three years since the last time I watched the show. Yeah, I still watched it like 14 times those first three seasons. And I'm on my third, second, second rewatch of the first three seasons since I restarted. But like, it was totally new to me again. There were jokes I didn't remember. There were scenes that I didn't remember. There were sections I didn't remember. And then there were new jokes that I was finding because that's how the show works. That no matter how many times you watch it, there's something new to get. And so, like, I don't know. Like, what do you, what do, I'm saying, what do they want as fans? But like, we know what they want. We've already gone over it. They want the same thing, but just like updated, I guess. It's sort of like Call right. of Duty. It's like, it's the same game, but a little different. But even then, Warzone is a totally different iteration of the series and like so i don't, I don't know and, like and you, we're, we're all guilty of this to some extent right like I, um, that's why i'm frustrated with season five <laughs> I, or even initially was frustrated with season four but then like i had a friend who was like no dude you gotta finish it it's great and then i did and i was like oh it's awesome and there are still people who are disappointed about season four but we can all agree season five is bad i you know <laughs> i have this experience called Duty as an example actually like black ops 4 it was free with playstation plus because I stopped buying Call of Duty games a while ago because it just wasn't worth the investment. Yeah. And I was like, oh, sick, Call of Duty. You know, and I, when I played, I'm a big Zombies fan, so I played the Zombie it's maps great. a couple of times. Always fun. And I was like, okay, time to play the story campaign. And there's no story. There's no campaign in Black yeah. Ops 4. It's just, in 4, yeah. And I just was like, I had this moment of like, back in my day, when you bought a game, you got a full single player. You know, I just had this moment of like, but I mean, that's just, if it's not, that's not what people want anymore. That's not what they want anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And really the problem is me is I near 30 complaining about a video game. Now, <laughs> maybe it's, maybe it's time to get perspective on like, you know, then there's, and, and you can they, always replay black ops one. Cause it's a great I game. Can always, yeah. Black ops. <laughs> At least one. a good I story. Like black ops two. Yeah. You know, it was a little short, but, and it's like, it's not like there aren't games out there that cater to my, what I want still, you know, there's plenty of single player. The indie game market is filled with games that are made for artsy, fartsy, single player experiences. But like, yeah, like there's something about where like seeing just seeing the world change at all in any way is discomforting for any reason, good or bad. You know, the lack of familiarity, especially for somebody as you get older, you get into routines. You have you go to work, you have a family life, you do these things. Anything that disrupts that routine, especially when like work is terrible and your boss is just the worst and you're struggling to put your kids through school and your wife isn't feeling well or whatever, you know, all this like work and life pressure on you. You just want your little couple hours to relax and have a little sanctuary. <laughs> you have that one hope that Kevin Smith, He-Man reboot. You put on, you put on the He-Man Can't show. Wait. The only thing in life that brings you joy. You get your He-Man hat. You put on the, you put <laughs> on your plastic sword <laughs> yeah. and you're, and you're, and you're you got your bucket of popcorn and you're, you're like, he man, he man, he man. And you turn it on and, and then Teal is the lead character. <laughs> and then this stupid girl is the lead character, you know, or whatever. And I'm not, and to be honest with you, replace Teal with anything. 
if He-Man was suddenly a show about, you know, I don't know, the shark, <laughs> what's, what's the name of a shark, the shark, the cartoon shark character? I don't know why I just thought of a shark character. Or the, the Dune Buggy from the Dune Buggy mystery shows or both Scooby-Doo or whatever. If, yeah, if Foghorn Leghorn was lead character or if you turn it on, it was like some guy named, you know, Bro-Man, this new character <laughs> that the kids like. And he's, he was making TikToks and stabbing people. Like, you'd be like, <laughs> this is the worst, you know. You, whatever it it's is not far off from tiktok just in general <laughs> yeah it's it's just it's not even just Tila. it's just the fact it's not he-man is the thing that i think probably bothers people and because i don't want to give too much credence where like yeah it's a vocal minority making everyone sound terrible i'm sure there aren't ma- waves and waves of angry master universe fans who just they're just like girl you know and getting mad. <laughs> i'm sure that's like a vocal minority yeah. they're making it that they just happen to be the loudest people and we are just podcasters and it's entertaining to make jokes about this sure stuff. so yeah. it's like it's you know it's what and we do <laughs> it's funny because like i went just to give context for this i went into the subreddit from master universe which i'd never ventured into before this i didn't know it existed but there's a subreddit for everything and there's people saying stuff like it was okay I prefer the designs for, for Robot Man from this series of, of like action figures. I wish they used a Generation Three design. You know, they have that's a weird... very wholesome discussion. But yeah, but it's like <laughs> it's these weird complaints that I've never heard of before, and it's just like okay, there's a whole universe. And actually, I'm glad we brought this up because I took a screenshot of this because it's the funniest thing I've ever read. This is from the Master Universe subreddit. Uh, so <laughs> it's someone said something or this someone was complaining about something and someone replied to them going also like is a complaint about the comics and he's like mm-hmm. they're just arguing it it makes no sense I'm not gonna read their argument but this person goes also are you the same guy who keeps arguing uh, for a thousand times over and over in the Transformers subreddit that Transformers Prime and the War for Cybertron and Fall of Cybertron video games are in the same continuity once has already been confirmed by Vector Prime that they're canonically <laughs> not over in our Transformers. <laughs> and so first That's the guy like res- seven degrees. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so the guy responds his first thing and then goes well, it's not my fault. The pre-roll comics of Transformers Prime <laughs> so and the WFC <laughs> pre-roll comics are confirmed that the games are the same continuity. And plus, we do not know what happens in the past of Transformers Prime or the few flashbacks. So the only thing we can go off of is the pre-roll comics and games. And I'm not going to use the novels. The novels, mostly the first one, contradict the games and pre-roll comics. So technically, if the pre-roll comics say that they're the same continuity, I'm not going off of this, that. Because This pre- is why <laughs> Disney's decision to completely redo the canon for Star Wars <laughs> was a good choice because this is what happens. Like I don't I, I, when I have fan, <laughs> when I have discussions with other Star Wars fans about like the prequel or the the sequel series or even the spin-off movies almost never does it come up with alternative canon. That's why the pro- there's problems with that, those movies. Most of the time people just have now like now it's just like you're free to have a problem with the movie because of the movie itself as opposed to they didn't put your favorite character from this deep comic that has been completely out of print and you can only get if you either find <laughs> it at a thrift store for dirt cheap or spend a thousand dollars getting it. Like you can't like I I wonder if like when people reboot these properties because we're in that stage of like reboots are ultimately always safer than making new ip that they also are willing to sacrifice the reality that they're going to upset people that are so deeply entrenched in these these 
these worlds. And simultaneously, that they're also living in an age where the algorithm benefits arguments and anger. So then right, not yeah. you you as a fan, you as a person who watched the show don't even need to know the deep lore. You just need to get the YouTube algorithm to give you someone who does. And it says, this is why Masters of the Universe Revelation is bad. And you're like, hmm, yeah, that sounds interesting. I'll watch it. And it's like a 40 minute video essay about like why like this this character is wrong because their breast size on the character model <laughs> is so much bigger now that's all tinier and you're like i don't care yeah. like i don't care you don't care you who's listening i really hope you don't care um because it doesn't matter just let people yeah. make things it's a totally new canon i think it's awesome and you're gonna roll your eyes that i bring up arrested development so much in this episode because even though i don't like season five last night i was like yeah, but I can also just be like, the end of the show is season three, and the other two seasons don't matter, and season four exists in an alternate universe, so when I watch it, it's fun, and I still reference it a lot. I make a lot of jokes with it with my wife. There are so many lines I forget are just season four lines that are so good, but I can also parse out and say it's different, and then season five, I can be mad about, but also be totally fine and just go, it's different. It doesn't matter, and I guess is there just like... Do you think it's like the comfortability of chasing identity that draws people in to be so angry about this stuff where like poor Kevin Smith? I mean, we made we were talking about this with the WandaVision episode where you're like the people who wrote it are apologizing to fans. It's like you don't need to apologize that you wrote like an awesome show. <laughs> like, it's great. It's getting Emmy nominated it, just because someone on Twitter was mad about it and rallied like another hundred people that are too busy complaining about a show. Like. I get that we do that on the podcast. We complain about stuff because it's fun. But also, if you've listened to enough episodes, you know the context of us is like we also like we're fine. Like it's not really a big deal. And like I don't know. Like what do you think it is about this? Is it sort of like what you were des- describing before, where you're like your wife isn't feeling well, your boss sucks, you're not making enough money, and then you're also just yeah. being inundated with misery that you're like, if I can just have your one thing, joke, yeah. you're broke, your love life's DOA. And the, yeah. the, the, I live in New Jersey, which give it 10 years and my property is going to be sunk underwater. So it's like, <laughs> if I can just watch He-Man, if I can just, if Kevin Smith can just deliver. At least I have you, He-Man. Um, <laughs> I think it's part of it. And I also think that there is a small, but very noticeable vocal community people where um, their hobby takes up a unhealthy amount of their life personality where, yeah, um, to them, it's a big deal because it affects so much about their happiness and what they do. They plan the budget around it. They make sure they have enough money to buy. The Maybe they whatever. even called out of work for when the, uh, the series was dropping. Yeah. You know, and, and people would do that. They call out of work when a new game was dropping so they could stay up all night and play it or whatever. And you know, yeah, they use a precious PTO to go to to watch <laughs> Master of the Universe. You know, and it, like the people do this, you know, and so I think for some people where their priorities are out of whack and th- it takes up, it affects so much of everything else. But it is totally okay to use PTO for when something you really like is coming out. Literally, like this week, sure. I texted my wife and was like, "Hey, when Halo, Halo Infinite comes out, you want to like <laughs> let's call out of work, let's just play it a lot." And she was like, yeah, I can take two days off. Well, I mean, you're, at least you're spending the time to spend with your wife. Yes. Technically, you're calling out of work to spend time with your wife. I'm, I'm positive that's why Halo... I mean, Halo 5 is a really bad game. Uh, just, uh, I almost wish like we could talk about video games because I would love to run down the list. But I would be like seven years behind because that game came out a long time ago. But I'm <laughs> yeah. sure that it was even worse because it's 
it's not split screen. And yeah. so like I wasn't able to play it with my wife. I want to talk about like what remains of Edith Finch or something, which is like no one's thought about that game in like five years. I think it's on Game Pass. If we found is a it? way, I could play it on there and then we could talk about it. <laughs> Good game. Um, yeah. So I think for some people be in it, think, just conceptualize the person in your brain, the type of person who has enough time to go on the Internet and complain about a cartoon and yell about it is also the type of person who <laughs> maybe doesn't have a lot else to go on in life. I don't know. I'm just assuming. And so if you're somebody who's dedicated so much of your life and your time and your free time, you spent money going to cons, you went to conventions, you all of your friends you made around Star Trek or Star Wars or comic books or whatever. And so your friend group is built around this is what you and your friends talk about all the time. You hang out in each other's like houses and basements, playing games and doing whatever. And like suddenly someone taking your precious thing that you've built your whole life around and they're ruining it. They're ruining it because they're making it about dumb girls or they're ruining it because they're changing canon or, you know, the force used to work this way. And now they're saying it works this way or this character used to have these powers. And that's really important for X, Y, and Z reasons. And they're changing that. That can be quite a shock to your system, I'm assuming. And so I think, like, if you have a proper understanding, there's nothing wrong with not liking something. And I think I think sometimes it, it, this comes across that way, where we're condemning people for not liking something. You can not like things for any number of reasons. There's plenty yeah. of things I don't it's like. <laughs> to, there's, ton, there's tons of reasons not to like something. Um, or there, there's no good reason. Sometimes you just don't like something. That's fine. Like, you just don't vibe with it. Something about it rubs you the wrong way. That's totally okay, too. What we're talking about is a person who is genuinely unhappy because a cartoon was different or because a TV show ended bad or because a comic book character was their costume supposed to look this way and it looks this way. You know, that is, it, it is arguably a form of idol worship, it, but it is at definitely 100% a complete, complete misplacement of your loves and your passions and your choice of where these things should lie. And so when something like that is out of whack, it just deeply upsets you in a way it really shouldn't. And so I think, at least as the type of people who are going around review bombing and complaining and harassing or sending actors death threats because of the way they played a character or whatever, you know? So you're not wrong. If you just stand out one tweet going, Oh, that new master universe show is bad. And then that's it. That's all you think about it. It's fine. But yes, two days ago, the last Jedi was still trending on Twitter. Why? That movie are came out still talking about this ago. movie. <laughs> you know, normal people saw the movie. They were like, I liked it. I didn't like it. And they never thought about it again. Because then another five of the Star Wars things have come out. You know, the world has moved on. You know, if you're still unhappy about that, that's just weird. Like, the, not even anything things I just said. That's just weird. Maybe it's because of the online thing or people just need something to talk about, especially if it's your job. It's like, think what you want about someone like Matt Walsh, um, who's like a conservative commentator, for those who don't know. But I really think a part of the reason he just says such ridiculous things is his job is conversation. That's how he makes a living is he just talks about stuff. And so you just need something to talk about and Star Wars or any hop on issue for people who are professional conversationalists and commentators. It's just an easy way to like, boom, attention, boom, people talking. Now I can make a video about it. Why is The Last Jedi still trending? You know, it's sort of like, yeah, it's this weird thing where like people get sort of boxed into a particular thing. Either you do it yourself as a He-Man fan or uh, you do it yourself as like a producer. So like that's the content you're making. And then you just get stuck there. And like this is this is where like going to the example of like if Hey Man is the only thing that's happy in your life because of the examples that were given before, maybe meditate on you can, some of the changes you can do. Like if you're working a job that is not satisfying to you, you can find another job. It's going to take time. 
It can be a couple months, but it can be something you're pursuing. And so instead of just like investing your happiness exclusively into consuming media, which you can do, I'm positive that the reason I'm rewatching Rest of Development <laughs> is because it's stabilizing for me. I am just like laughing at jokes I've laughed at forever, drinking tea that I've been drinking for months. <laughs> Not like the same cup, but like, you know, um, and just like, which I guess I could do, but that would probably be the equivalent of an unhealthy binge of He-Man. But like, there are simultaneously things I'm doing in my life that are participating in making my life better, as opposed to putting it all on Kevin Smith. Thank God you're making something new with He-Man. Oh my God, you've completely disappointed me. Like, I, it's, I don't know. I, it's, this, this is what it is. And it's fun to talk about. You're, you're 100%. The show is like kind of fine. <laughs> it's not great. <laughs> uh, we haven't even really talked about why it's particularly not great, but I think if. Oh, what's, uh, what, what, why don't you like it? I, I just, I, well, yeah, I guess we go to the reboot is it, discussion. Is it because of uh, ladies or? or... <laughs> I, I, for one, found all of that way more interesting because I've spent my whole life watching things with dudes in it, mostly because the entire industry has been produced, written, directed, and performed mostly by dudes. So you're mostly just getting dude stories. It's just how it is. So God forbid you have a couple women have their stuff come in or men write stories that get it. Um, one of my wife and I's favorite directors is Oz Perkins, because um, as she says, she's like, that's a dude who gets it. And all of his <laughs> films are pretty much very woman centric. I'm positive that Oz Perkins talks to his wife a lot about the movies he's making. But uh, yeah, I, my, my thing is that this follows the reboot formula really closely. This show, let's let's go bar, as far back as um, well. I'll do that in a second because it's a, it's an interesting observation. But like the reboot template seems to be nowadays is you take what was, jump forward twenty some years. All of the characters that you watched when you were a kid are now old people or adults, <laughs> and then the kids are now the younger characters are now old enough to have to be able to make decisions and stuff. And now they're living in the shadow of the older figures the previous characters, the ones that your dad or mom watched on television. What what I don't like about this template is it sort of turns these characters that were just normal characters into mythical characters. So just imagine like Star Wars Episode Seven, how it's like, <gasps> it's the freaking Millennium Falcon. And then like Han Solo's just doing a job, but it's treated like this like totally big reveal that you weren't going to see Han Solo in a Star Wars movie, like, um, or at least in like a movie that he could, canonically be in i just i don't find that interesting like i think reboot formula has been used across mediums i mean you we saw that my wife and i in the gears of war franchise when we went from three to four where they're basically like turning like characters like marcus phoenix who's just your he's just the main character of the first three games um uh, in the ensemble cast into like this mythical figure in the fourth game and it's like Dude, it's just a it's just a mildly depressed soldier. This isn't some sort of mythical like sage like figure that's going to be like I don't know, I just can't take it seriously and it doesn't help that 4 wasn't a very good game. But then what I think I liked about 5 when it kind of semi reboots the reboot that 4 was kind of doing is all of the characters that were from the first three games are just there. They don't get a weird introduction. They don't have that scene where like the door opens and the camera zooms in and there they are standing under the perfectly set up light. Like there's literally a mission that you just start and Cole, who's from the first three games, is just on your team. They don't introduce him on your team. I think it's like you just hear him on radio chatter and it's just like, that's just how it is. And I think like, 
I think what frustrates me is like, especially now with streaming and the easy accessibility of old content is like doing this sort of mythologizing of previous characters doesn't really work anymore because I've already just seen them like two hours ago when I binged the movies before seeing the new movie or I like in my in this Gears of War example, when my wife and I just played through all of them one after another, having Marcus Phoenix show up as some sort of like surprise doesn't work. And this show does that. We're like a character. I mean, anybody who's watched the previous show wanting to see some of the same characters, maybe not getting to see He-Man and Skeletor do their thing for five episodes, probably in the next five, maybe at least Skeletor, (laughs) but they're already going to be expecting to see these characters again. So like when Tila's, I guess, adoptive dad is like, he he's like hinted at is coming back. And I'm like, of course he's coming back. Like, why wouldn't he come back? Like, why are they like shower shadowing his face in a cloak? It's him, obviously. Like, I don't know. I just, I think this is really cringy. I brought up Star Trek into darkness because like when that was basically like, I would almost say proto reboot formula where it's like they start a new canon with the first Star Trek uh, movie 2009 and then into darkness. One of the criticisms it got was like people who didn't, who were new to the franchise. The fact that it was Khan in that movie is like that Benedict Cumberbatch. Cause they really like, they don't say it's Khan for like half of the movie. And then when they do, and then like another movie starts, but like the fact that like, if you're new to the franchise, that it's Khan wouldn't surprise you because like, you don't know anything about Khan, so who cares? While simultaneously old fans of the series weren't surprised because, of course, it's Khan. Like, it wasn't a surprise at all. And, like, so who is it for? And I just feel like that's the same thing with this, where it's like, as someone who doesn't know anything about He-Man, I don't have any attachment to these characters they're mythologizing. So, like, I don't care. They're just another character. But then, like, I would assume for fans, deep lore fans of the series... Who cares that they're there again? Is it just because it's being a, a new medium? So it's animated like this revelry that's held for film of like finally seeing them on the big screen, quote unquote, again. I don't know. I just this reboot stuff I'm getting tired of. I uh, I just don't like it. Hi- Halo 5 did it, too, with Arbiter, where like. I'm sorry, but like everyone's been playing the Master Chief Collection more than any of the other games. And so they've been playing Halo 2, where half of the game you play as Arbiter. And then if they've been co-oping Halo 3, they've been one player has literally been Arbiter the whole game. And then in Halo 5, it's like they're really playing up like you're going to see Arbiter. You're going to do it. You're going to happen. And then like, who cares? Like, I just was playing Halo 2 like three days ago. I don't know. So it's just I feel like. Maybe it's just me, but like this concept of the reboot franchise and like bringing things back is just, I don't know if it works anymore, especially when like, like maybe it worked back in the day when movies, you didn't have video uh, at home. Because like the first Star Trek movie was in theaters like for seven years. It would keep coming back and they kept advertising it. And there's posters that exist that are basically like last time in theaters. And then like the next year it would be in theaters again. And so like then I guess it would make sense because it's like you never got to do it again. And now it's like a special event to like see these characters and these figures and these scenes again. But like in a in a world of plenty and it, of media especially is plenty. Like what's the big deal, man? I'm seeing like 
I don't know. I'm seeing this stuff all the time. I can pre- I could go on Disney Plus and it's all right there. Like if 10 years from now there was a reboot and they were like, actually, the Skywalker saga is not over and Ray's back. And they did some sort of dumb introduction where Daisy Ridley's like an old woman now. Like I'd be like, yeah, but I could just watch like it's not a surprise. Who cares? Am I am I alone in this, Dan? Or do you kind of get this a little where there's like a fatigue over this like reboot formula or I don't know. Like, what do you think? Um, I mean, I don't, I'm not really relate to any of the video game examples you gave. I'm, I'm mostly just bringing it up as a narrative structure thing, yeah. less so much the game itself. Cause I'm trying, I'm trying to think, cause I know like a vac- the vacation reboot is very similar to what you're talking about or like early on in the movie Chevy Chase is there, but then he just hands off the franchise to, to his son, like Ed Helms. Yeah. I think that was, yeah, definitely more in vogue recently, but I don't know. I for me, it doesn't. I'm down for whatever as long as the actual end product is fine. And so, even if I start to see a formula, it, while it can grow tiresome, I think, I think something like this that I have so little attachment to doesn't bother me at all. Because mm-hmm. if anything, it takes something I had no interest in and actually makes it kind of interesting. But I see what you're saying. Where it, there's a cynicalness to it where it's almost like Hollywood is flipping through like stacks of screenplays or like, or they look at like, what, 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 what IP do we have? What IP do we have? Come on, everyone think of an idea. All right. Is that actor like, still alive? They're old. All right. Get the reboot template. <laughs> yeah. All right. They can play the dad, you know, or they, the first episode they're in it and then they die and then they hand it off to their kid, you know, or whatever. I, I, I see that, you know, I, but I think you can do, I think to an extent, like even something like Cobra Kai, I think kind of does that template really well. Or where, like, if anything, it recontextualizes the material in a way that kind of makes it interesting. So I see what you're saying, but I think templates aren't bad. Like, a formula is sure, inherently absolutely. bad. I think as long as you put the right ingredients in it, it can work out fine. But if you get something like the like vacation is one that always comes to mind because it's just such a stupid. Or even the new Ghostbusters, like, I'm kind of like. Like Afterlife uh, coming up? Yeah. I'm yeah. Like, I was actually, I was talking uh, to my wife and I was like, God help Ghostbusters hope, Afterlife. You know, I hope uh, if they do the thing that you're talking about, I hope it comes out okay. But it, the, all the trailers are making uh, it sound like that. Like even you made a joke about uh, it when we did a trailer talk where you were like, they're playing it up like it's the Ecto-1. <laughs> like as if the Ecto-1 had any like, like the whole point of the Ecto-1 is it's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a disgusting, Some kids card. who grew up with a toys might be like, oh yeah, Ecto-1. But for people I like me, I used to just, play with that. It's, for me, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's a punchline. It's you know? the, the car, even the horn is yeah. a punchline. It's all a joke. Why are we playing it up? Like it's like this mythical thing. This is weird. But yeah, but most people aren't going to, they're not going to remember it from the context of the movie. They're going to remember it from the trailers and the merchandise and t-shirts that they've seen and you know they're gonna remember their favorite parts of ghostbusters which is weird because like ghostbusters weirdly to me it is something i'm nostalgic for to an extent because i just remember watching it a lot as a kid but for, it's not like a big franchise like it's not this it's, it's not, not a like, big franchise but it's like it made it just gangbusters money for some reason I mean, I guess I get it because it had major star power and it is a good movie, but like, it's, it's also, also very kind unique. of artsy. It feels like yeah. an art movie, like an art comedy, because it has so many factors to it that make yeah. it, it. It stayed in the color consciousness. What you would suspect inaccessible. The, yeah. Uh, in a way that not every franchise, because there's no, no one's like, oh, I really want a new life force movie or whatever. <laughs> it's like, 
Oh God, could you imagine? Yeah. That would not or laser blast. Nobody wanted the first or, Life Force movie. Whatever. <laughs> it's like because it's like you had the video games, and then they had like which the is game. great. That that third that the th- I was going to say game the third is like game. a third movie. The basically. game that's based on a third script is like yeah. it's a really good game. Good collectibles. Good story. They brought the voice act, but Bill Murray actually answered his phone and was like yeah i'll do that <laughs> you mean i don't have to come on set i could just have you mail me some equipment and i can record in my closet all right i could do that <laughs> but yeah you know like i think that's i see what you're saying like i can see that but because i went into it i think i went also went into it in a very different mindset than everyone else does with where, him in? yeah with this particular show where i was like i wasn't expecting a reboot or or anything i was just like i think this is gonna be weird and i'm really ready for it i'm ready then, for the discussions i can have yeah it was just like i was like okay why does everyone hate this so much let's see it and then i was just like oh yeah they killed he-man skeletor i'm totally in so i was like ready for that i was ready for the we're gonna take the franchise and just throw it in the garbage because partially because I, I i've repeatedly stated i have no affinity for the source material so right but so i mean overall would you did you like it are you you know, at the least, at the very least, are you going to check out the second half of the first season, or maybe I'll check the second half. I I think um, on the topic of the whole reboot concept, like what I like, what I like about the reboot concept is after you get through the birthing pains of this reboot stage, um, because I liked Gears Five narratively because it got all that dross out Rebooting. of the way. Of like we yeah. have to, yep, yeah, the the cringe is gone. And the story's very good in Gears Five, and the gameplay. Every, speaking specifically about the narrative, it's a, it's really good. And I, I, it does deconstruct a bit of what I liked about like how the the original trilogy ends, because that's another thing too. Is like when you add in sequels, unlike prequels, sequels can more disrupt the original content than prequels do. Like even though like. I guess the introduction of midichlorians really sucks in, in Phantom Menace. <laughs> the prequels don't really ruin the original trilogy of Star Wars, but the sequels do. And some stuff in Gears 5 narratively did that. E- even so, it's still like what they do afterward, I really, really like. And so in this sense, after we've gotten through the reboot template, of this series i could see myself enjoying what's next like i said i thought the last five minutes of that last episode was like hey these are really interesting plot points i mean we talked about orko dying he could totally come back because they were making clear distinctions that orko and evelyn have a relationship and it's an unfinished conversation they had where orko wanted to ask a personal question evelyn makes a joke but then they get interrupted because a monster shows up and so like you could you can basically see it writes itself an episode where Orko's back or maybe his essence is back and talks to Evelyn and he says remember I was going to ask you a question and then all the He Man fans will start crying because they're like oh that's so touching he's going to ask the question and then Evelyn turns around and kills Skeletor herself because uh, which would then upset He Man fans because they're like that's too SJW because the woman's overpowering <laughs> He Man or something um, the emancipation can't have it but like. Uh, so like I can see all that being very interesting to me, but this first five episodes was mostly just like, I, I don't know. I don't like the idea of like IP going up, uh, just a story going on too long. I do like it in the sense that I like, here's what I do like. I like a story from the beginning that has longevity in mind. So two things come to mind, Stephen King's it and death note. Stephen King's it 
the the fact that they're adults is as important as the fact that they were kids and the nostalgia and the change and the the time period is all relevant to the narrative simultaneously in death note that that story takes place over like 15 years or something and that's relevant to like the whole theming and the drama and the 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 narrative of the story but like in a reboot story it's the template is used because it's hard to add longevity and time to something that was a serial where no one ages it's kind of like how like having like a harsh reboot of like the Pokemon franchise, like the animated show would be weird, but it would almost have to do the same reboot system because Ash has been 12 years old for like 40 years. And so I just, I don't know. I, I think what's after could be interesting, but like what was now doesn't totally get me interested except for those last five minutes, but five minutes out of like what, how long was this first half of the series? Like five, 20 something episodes. Yeah. yeah like, I don't know. That's, that's one not movie. a lot to get me going. Yeah. What about you? I mean, yeah, just to briefly touch upon the reboot thing. I think I, yeah, I have no problem with reboots as long using a tried and true formula, as long as it leads somewhere, you know, like, and I think it all comes down to like intention. Like if somebody's like, I have a great story. I grew up watching X franchise. You know, I love it. It really formed me as a right. kid. I would love to revisit it. I have a story to tell. Um, and even then, if you use those like tried and true formulas, as long as you're going somewhere with it, I think it can be great. I think we both have a problem where it's just like somebody's like, we need a thing people know. We need more money. And then, and they maybe even Meanwhile, have, Dark Crystal season two still doesn't exist. That makes me mad. But they like <laughs> it, they might even have like another pitch for another show or some right. new scripts. They might just like copy paste over it, you know? So I have no problem with it as long as it goes somewhere. But I do think it can get a little cynical, a little samey. But as far as this show goes... I am interested in where they're going. Uh, so I'm at least mostly committed to finishing the first season, but you know, it's not my favorite thing in the world. I just think it's such a bizarre pitch for a new He-Man show, which is why it's like, we need to talk about this because it's such a brave, bizarre thing, especially from someone like Kevin Smith, who doesn't strike me as this daring auteur. I mean, yeah, he made some really strange horror movies, but like Tusk. It's a yeah, weird Tusk one. is such a weird movie. And they're all set in the same canon, like yep. in the same universe. And I was yep. like, is this set in that same universe? Because that'd be pretty funny if there's <laughs> some sort of connection to Yeah, wasn't Tusk movies. kind of loosely connected to Yoga Hosers or whatever? All, all of them are in the same uh, universe. Well, I know like the View Askew universe, like all of his movies before that are in the same universe. I just don't know if his horror films are also in that universe. Mm-hmm. I, I was talking to a friend of mine who said, yeah, they, they all have connections in in light ways so yeah it's such a weird universe too because it's like actors appears in multiple characters across multiple movies yeah <laughs> yeah but that's just because people like kevin smith i don't he just has a charisma <laughs> so they're like yeah we'll give you money to make a new movie well initially <laughs> it was such a um daring idea because like things like jane sign and bob strike back came out like 2001 and this is before marvel Cinematic universe and like the sheer continuity thing was mostly a comic booky thing and so the fact he was kind of a godzilla it, thing and a Godzilla thing, but yeah, like the fact he was thing. applying it to like this film framework was a little novel and definitely appealed to like a niche audience. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, so Master of the Universe, I I like the first five episodes overall. I think it's a fun cartoon. I liked it. Um, I don't think it's the best <laughs> thing ever. I don't think it's amazing. Even like people, even for the reasons people didn't like it, like it's not that much of a female empowerment thing. It's not it's bad. Just, the show's not really bad. Yeah. When I hear like, oh, SJW is ruining He-Man, you know, that type of discourse, 
which I did hear inklings of that. I was expecting so much something so much more radical than this. Like there isn't like a scene where like you know the characters go one on one with some big buff guy. <laughs> Teela looks into the camera. F men. <laughs> Just I hate men. <laughs> uh, I'm gay now, you know, or, or something, or yeah. like you know, or it's like yeah. she just like is a, in a fist fight with a dude and she just like outboxes him or something. You know, yeah. there's none of that. It's just the main characters for most of the show just happen to be women. That's it. Like that. I so I think I was expecting some something more daring in that regard. It just doesn't happen. Um, all the shocking elements are in the first episode. And then I think, you know, as the show unfolds, like even you talk about the last episode take some interesting detours that I think just narratively could pay off a lot in the next half of the first season. So I'm interested in seeing where this goes. I'm interested in seeing if they kind of like backtrack on anything or if they kind of like chicken out on some stuff, but I'm intrigued at least for the first season. It's a light recommendation overall for me. And it is one of those shows where the show itself if you're interested in it, cool. And then the the discourse online, you also get to be in the know. Yes. <laughs> so, so it's it's the gift that keeps on giving. Someone in our Facebook group really didn't like it. They posted a thing of like, here's my review of the new Master Universe show. And it's a gift, the gif of the burning dumpster. And they're just and I was like, oh great. I hope they listen to our episode whenever we record it, because I doubt we'll be this negative. So if you want to know what our Facebook group thinks, the two people who saw it didn't like it. So I don't, I just, I, I don't have any, like, it's like a show I don't have any strong opinions about. Yeah. I just have know. the reboot opinion. That's it. That, then that's, that's like, that's not even really relevant to yeah. the show. <laughs> oh man. So it goes. When, when will that group of people who always say SJW, like it's a curse word, why, when will they just get too tired or grow out of this? They're, they're, pro- they're probably their favorite book is A Clockwork Orange. They don't understand <laughs> the purpose of that book is you grow out of things. <laughs> when a different group of, when a different boogeyman group becomes more prominent, because you just, you gotta have somebody to hate. <laughs> it's kind of the feeling I get, <laughs> or it's like the left, leftists, communists, socialists, SJWs. It's never Satan. They never just like are like, ah, screw you, Satan. This is all your fault. Like I hate the evil in men's hearts. Yeah, it's never that. I hate sin. I hate my flesh. <laughs> like you just do that. Like for for the opposite group, it's just like the right, conservatives, Christians. You know, yeah, very boring gamer gators, you know, whoever it's just there's always a group of people. <laughs> Let's judge that one back. Up. That just like they just there are all the things you don't like. And we just see more of that side of it because, you know, we're in more conservative Christian groups. But over on the left, it's the same thing. It's just mm. those darn, you know, nobody voted for Trump, for example, out of desperation or out of just a thing of like, well, I really don't like the left. So yeah, I guess I'll everyone who ever Trump really loved him is, you know, the thing like all those racist, hateful people, <laughs> you know, I know people who like with gritted teeth and closed eyes, they put the ballot down for like, oh, okay, I'll vote for Trump. And it's like, sort of like what we joked about, I think in our Loki episode where on the other side, it's, oh, you voted for Biden. You hate babies, don't you? <laughs> yeah. 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 If you voted for Trump, you hate all minorities. If you voted for Biden, you hate, god <laughs> you know it's like no yeah nobody when I, when I fill out the ballot box and i vote for biden i put an upside down cross <laughs> instead of a check you, you made you made another box and wrote satan and, and just <laughs> yeah or yeah and then yeah if you trump you just cross trump's name out wrote hitler and then voted for him biden that's a weird way to pronounce satan yeah <laughs> it's like so dumb yeah it's tiresome 
But it's fun to keep up with the conversation. So I don't know. Check out the show. Then you get to see what's going on <laughs> online or just go to the Reddit and just be inundated with how much information you don't know. <laughs> so be humbled by the amount of information. you don't Yeah, know. I didn't like they didn't use anything from the Dark Horse comic series. You know, <laughs> that's like a Sonic video game coming out and people complaining that it didn't have any of the comic stuff in it. Yeah. His arm is the wrong color. That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, what was it? So, yeah. Someone was like, I loved it because they added hero hero. I've always loved that character. He was never in a cartoon. I loved it. Finally. Oh, that's sweet. I was like, you've waited 30 years to see this guy who's in one episode appear in a cartoon. It's just like, for a moment, I was like, that's lame. But then I was like, I don't know if I'll ever enjoy anything this much. Like, You'll never be that happy again. To wait 30 years for something and you finally see it. You know, you know? in um, Gears of War, there is a character in the books named Bernie, who my wife and I are pretty positive is a self-insert from the author. And she ends up showing up in the third game as a playable character, even. And we were like, oh, my gosh, it's a self-insert. And then in a cutscene, you see her holding hands with another character. And you're like, oh, my God, she hooked herself up with someone <laughs> in the franchise. It's just like, yeah, wow. you'll never be that happy. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, when um, Rogue One came out. And characters from Star Wars Rebels like make cameo. Like the robot from Star Wars Rebels makes a cameo. And I remember people were like, oh, sick. That like, uh, what's the name? Chop chop not chop chop top is the character from texas chainsaw like abomination in a trailer shows up yeah (laughs) (laughs) my life it's it's complete (laughs) yeah uh what kind of recommendations you got for us dan um so if you're a longtime commentary reader you may be aware of the fact there's two different commentary series i guess you'd call them series uh that specifically they try and republish older commentaries uh, there's two sets of these. There's the Crossway Classics commentaries where they like reproduce commentaries from people like Martin Luther. And there's the Geneva commentary series. Um, and so today I specifically would recommend from the Geneva commentary set, which is a fun commentary set. I highly recommend checking it out. They have stuff from like John Calvin and so forth. Uh, but they reprinted Charles Hodges commentaries. And specifically, I was reading through his first Corinthians commentary, um, which is... You know, the the downside of using classic commentaries, and I actually don't see this brought up enough because a lot of more reformed people, they'll be like, oh, read Gill's commentary, read this person's commentary. They love Matthew Henry. And I like their commentaries a lot, but they're not as academic, so to speak. And so you miss certain things. So you get a lot of like application from maybe not an academic place, but there's so much pastoral wisdom uh, involved. And so Charles Hodges, First Corinthians Commentary, I find very edifying. It's very useful. Um, definitely would balance it out with a more academic commentary if you're doing a serious study or, but if you're just doing a Bible study or even like personal devotional time, um, the Geneva commentary set is great to have. It really fills out your library and you get insights from some of the older, you know, Titans of our faith. And so Charles Hodges first Corinthians commentary is my commentary recommendation for the week. Nice. Uh, my, uh, recommendation is, um, there's, there's a particular soul pancake video on YouTube where basically they, uh, they have a bunch of people come in and they fill out a letter and the letter is basically write, write to someone that was important in your life and tell them about it. And then you write this letter and then they give them a phone and say, call them and read the letter. (laughs) And some people don't do it. Some people do. Um, and it's a really it's a really moving video because you're hearing the interaction with the person as they're reading what they wrote and they're really heartfelt things and then the response from the other person and then at the end the the purpose of the particular exercise is that when they did, gave everybody a um basically this test to or just like a multiple choice thing of like grading their happiness 
they found that like the people who did do the phone, who wrote it, saw an increase in their happiness. And then the people who wrote it, but did the phone call in that moment, uh, had like a, like a astronomical increase in their happiness in comparison to the other people. And so, uh, the purpose of the video is also about like mindfulness, the idea of in the moment, how are you feeling and what can you do in the moment to improve how you're feeling? And so my recommendation is like, you know, sit down and write a letter to someone that's important to you. It doesn't have to be very long. It can just be a page and explain why. And then maybe give them a call or, you know, you can mail it to them as well. I've heard that mailing it can be helpful because they get to see it. They get to see it and collect it. I've heard if you give them a call, it's great because you get to interact with them. And I actually did this one time and it was really like, it was really touching and and helpful for me as well. Um, And for the other person, they actually told me like I was having a horrible day and then you called me and it totally changed my day. But then I've also heard that it's also nice if you can leave a message because then they get to save that message and they can re-listen to it over and over. So I'll have the video linked in the show notes too. So if you want to like see a tutorial of how to do it (laughs) and maybe get some confidence, you can do it. But yeah, that's going to be my recommendation is write a letter to someone who's important to you, explain why, and then contemplate sharing that with them. Cause you know, if you love them, it's, it's a good thing to let people know that you love them and why. Um, so I'm going to do something a little different, which is, so I'm going to first, kind of add an addendum to my recommendation where I recommend one of the shows I recommended was a show called amphibia, which is a children's show. Um, it is, there's this whole thing with cartoons where people want to make cartoons that are for kids, but also not really for kids. You know, gravity falls is a great example of this where it's a children's show partially just cause it's animated, but it's written at a level where everyone understands amphibia is fascinating middle ground between these things. And so initially I was like, Oh, it's cool and it's goofy and fun, but there's actually secretly a good story behind it. But I want to really sort of explain what I mean by that because I didn't do a good job of it, which is Amphibia. The premise is three girls get transported to an alternate world where all the characters are, you know, frogs and toads and things like that. And they're the only human characters. And so a large person of the show is just their main character trying to find her friends and so forth. And so most of the show is just a kid show. It's colorful and goofy and they, they have slapsticky adventures. And I will say. If you're interested in cartoons, watch the show up through the first season finale. I've never seen a show that so completely changes in tone and content for the season third season finales. Whoa. It, this is interesting. It is so bizarre because in bizarre, I mean, in the way of like, it just really catches you off guard where the whole thing is like, oh, we're trying to find my friends and we're also trying to find a way to send me home. And they find her friend at the end of the first season and it leads to like, this insane epic battle where they have like crazy animations, there's sword fights, people are like <laughs> dying, all that stuff. And the second season finale was such a sudden shift in tone that the episode was momentarily pulled from the release schedule and Disney didn't give it a reason why. And they had to finally, when they released it, they had to throw a disclaimer at the beginning of the second season finale, warning that younger viewers might find it upsetting. It's so, it's hard to pitch without spoiling anything. But there's this underlying story to Amphibia that's actually really good and really engaging. And so both of the last two or three episodes of both seasons are really, really good. So and wait, so your recommendation is... Check out Amphibia. Watch the first season, or if you go past the first season, expect the unexpected. <laughs> so I'm saying is, if you like cartoons at all, watch Amphibia the first season. Don't be turned off by its more goofy, child-friendly nature. And if the first season finale really does it for you like if you're just like oh this is actually really good 
um, then keep watching because it keeps paying off. It's one of those things where I'm recommending it for the payoff of the first season of the season finales. That's pretty cool. Cause it's just, it's such a dramatic shift. I, and I, I'm saying this both for like live action. Like there's a lot of great live action season finales, like the breaking bed season finales, walking dead usually has pretty solid season finales. Um, and of course, lest we forget the red wedding, but those shows had a consistent tone that those payoffs made sense. Amphibia is just almost borderline out of left field with how <laughs> strange and um, how just off the wall they get. So I just want to qualify my recommendation to really um, flesh it out for the people at home. And my other recommendation is I mentioned What Remains of Edith Finch. Great video game. <laughs> Check it out. Um, it is only five hours long. It's on. You said it's on like the, the weird I think game it's on pass Game Pass. Thing. Yeah, it's relatively cheap. It's you can beat the whole game in like five hours, but it's one of those walking simulator artsy fartsy games. But what it does is you uncover a family secret while also reliving the final moments of different people's lives. And it's one of the most life-affirming, touching, moving games I've ever played in my life. It's a little disturbing at parts just because of the nature of what you're talking about, which is the final moments of people's lives. And it does include children in that. And so there's one particularly difficult um, sequence that's also one of the most moving things I've ever played where you play through. I'm just going to say what it is because if this doesn't sound good for you, then it's not a game for you. You play through what a child in a bathtub is imagining as they're dying. And it's really, really gripping. And it's one of those games that made me really come away with this like feeling that life is beautiful and life is worth living, even if it's risky. And it's just it's such it's one of those great examples of a unique experience that you could only get through a video game. This is not something you get through watching a movie or reading mm-hmm. a book. You play through these sequences. You play through the decisions that they make. And it's so gripping and such a unique experience that, you know, if it's I don't know how much it is, but if it's like 10 bucks on Steam or something, I think it's totally worth it. So that's my entertainment recommendation. Watch a kid's show and play a game where you play through kids dying. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> Life is about balance. So. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.